Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For those of you who don't know, Amazon has this cool new format where you can write episodic fiction. Basically, it's like Wattpad, but Amazon's version of it. And because there's a token system to it, the writers who are participating do get paid. I am on this service. I have a new ongoing series called The Alchemist and the Illusionist, where if you've read Swan Song or Duet or The Muses, you'll be familiar with the character Christine Coleman. This is kind of her origin story on how she became the alchemist that we see in there. If you've read Our Past Is Not Define Us, please do not spoil what goes on in the future in the in the future for those who haven't read it yet if you want to check out the series new episodes go up the third wednesday of every month which means august 18th will be the next new episode coming out until then the first three episodes are always free after that there's a small token fee that you can get to read the next two episodes all available on kindle vela which is available in your Kindle app if you go to bitbit.ly slash vela alchemist all one word, so that's bit.ly slash V-E-L-L-A-A-L-C-H-E-M-I-S-T. If you go there, you can pick up the, you can read the first three. If you like it, thumbs up, uh, give it the thumbs up. If you don't like it, please continue to give it the thumbs up anyway, because it'll still bump it to the top and someone else may read it, because that's the goal here. If you want to support the show, it's a great way to support the show. Minimal effort, just go to bitbit.ly slash V-E-L-L-A. A-L-C-H-E-M-I-S-T. Thank you. This week on the show, what's Cheney's role in part two of Dune going to be? There's a new trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home. Ironheart's being introduced in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and we have a development in the legal battle between Scarlett Johansson and the Walt Disney Company. Plus, a movie review, two new episodes of Flash to review, and a listener question about licensed video games. So, listen in. Welcome to 30 Minute Reviews. I am Adam. Let's lead off with the most boring story, the legal semantics of the legal battle that's currently unfolding between uh, Scarlett Johansson and the Walt Disney Company. So a few weeks ago, we weighed in to begin with where Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney for unpaid funds. Now we're getting a little bit more of a look into what's actually going on in this legal fight and what the issue being contested is. So it appears that initially... Uh, she was promised a traditional theatrical release for Black Widow. Then Disney put it on Disney Plus as a premiere access movie. So what this means is she was basically promised that the movie would come out in theaters as normal without day and date release at the same time. This is a promise that is only important if the promise was a determining factor in her taking uh, a pay rate that she did when when the contract was negotiated. Because of this, this would have cannibalized sales, and there is a principle, there's a legal principle in United States jurisprudence called promissory estoppel, in which uh, a, a consideration, basically what you're giving in a contract, can be construed, can, can, a promise can be used for that if the promise is something of material value. In this case, future money contingent on the movie coming out theatrically. So it is theoretically possible that this she has a valid case here. That said, there's a question of when this contract was signed, what information was known at the time, how much did the Walt Disney Company uh, mislead her about the impact of Disney Plus sales on, um, on the box office, and uh, based on the fact that they're talking about it here, and there's no back end coming off of Disney Plus as part of the contract, something that Disney has not publicly uh, contradicted, it appears that this was signed without taking into consideration what money will be coming in from Disney Plus. And considering Disney Plus has been about half of the opening weekend gross 
which I think opening weekend was eighty million for Black Widow. I think it was sixty million. So almost exactly even she should have gotten, you know, off of off of the Disney Plus uh back end. Um now the issue is all of this may be moot because there's a motion to dismiss from the Walt Disney Company contingent on the fact that in the contract there is a clause about binding arbitration behind closed doors. Now, here's the thing about this. I think this is indicative of the way the Walt Disney Company operates as a whole, where they're putting in... Now, I think this is a, now that's the thing, is that, number one, this is a standard thing, where it's like the company doesn't want the bad press of having talent sue them. So they put in this clause into every contract saying that we are going to, you know, if there's a dispute about your pay, you bring it to us. If we can't come to a conclusion that's accurate, we go to binding arbitration, which means that they, instead of going to court, um, represent, representation for the talent, in this case, Scarlett Johansson, and legal representation from the Walt Disney Company will come together and try to come out to a solution that is binding behind closed doors and not legally challengeable. Now, what this could mean is, when I see this as part of the contract, I know this is standard, but I know at the same time it also means that this is indicative of a larger issue of how the Walt Disney Company tends to operate, where they're going to try and come up with a solution that's going to screw the talent out of money to the greatest degree possible. That's how I read this. Um, And the fact that they're coming out and saying, like, well, we should have, you know, she should have talked to her contract and negotiated behind closed doors. It's like, well, yeah, but I think at the same time, too, coming out public with it is the best way to handle this to an extent, I think. Where it's like, if this is behind closed doors um, and it doesn't work out her way and then she goes public with it, then it doesn't look good and then she can get sued. If she just comes out now, I don't think there is a legal recourse that can happen. And I think the other thing is, too, it's better for, it's not just for her, but for other actors who are trying to make deals with the Walt Disney Company to know what they're getting into by her coming public with this at this point. Um, so I think that's the bigger deal here. Now, uh, in release date news, uh, there are reports today that came out about an hour before I recorded this saying that the release date for the Eternals is contingent on how... Shang-Chi doesn't do Now, Shang-Chi is currently tracking at about $55 million, which is lower than Black Widow, but higher than, say, the Suicide Squad. Here's my issue with this. I think that indefinitely continuing to delay movies is just going to continue to hurt the box office and not, you know, I think that what we need to do is, like, we need to look, like, from the standpoint of the box office and not from the standpoint of, I don't know, public health or anything like that, if we continue to delay movies to um, because of the box office, people aren't going to, you know, people, it's going to continue to raise the eyebrow that it's not safe. Um, and I think that if they continue to say, look, look, let's put out these movies and then when there's no spike in cases, there's never go- we're not going to, you know, have this issue... I think that that's a better way to do it. I don't, like, I think that that's something that could be explored. Uh, I think that saying it's contingent on Shang-Chi is probably not going to impact the box office of Shang-Chi. I think that, look, I think that it's not going to go Disney Plus and... and and theaters. I think that that is basically done with the lawsuit. I think that ma- that model is functionally done. I don't think. I mean, again, looking at these characters and all the actors being new to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and you know Chloe Zhao being new to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I don't know how big of a role they want her to have going forward, or how big of a role she wants to have going forward. I don't know if it's a Ryan Coogler situation, or you know, like a, a one-off kind of we're going to have her come in, do this one movie, and then that's it. Uh, so I, I, I also don't think they want to risk the bad press. Um, and it does, I, I, I am hesitant to believe this too, because, um, today Sony announced that they were moving, or it was reported that Sony's moving, um, Venom Let There Be Carnage to January into Morbius' spot, but at the same time, they're not doing anything with, um, like, we, yesterday's trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home functionally confirms that, it is coming out this Christmas, considering it is now August 24th. The movie's coming out on December 17th. At this point, they are 
committed, I think, to this date. Um, they waited this long for a trailer. Like, this is the first trailer for the movie, and we've had two for the Eternals. I think we're committed at this point to this release date. Um, and, and this movie is not a movie that, due to its pre-existing contracts, cannot go to Disney Plus for premiere access. If that was an option, I think that they would take it, but Disney Plus is not the home for Spider-Man movies. Um, at release, it goes first to Netflix or to Stars. So even then, they wouldn't do that, and I don't think Disney would allow them to do that. Because I think Disney does get a say in the distribution of this movie. Uh, what else do we have? So, um... I think that's it for that story. I, I, I don't think that this problem that we see right now, the way the world is with COVID, I don't think that, I think it's even optimistic to say January for say Let There Be Carnage is going to still be where it is. I, I think that, yeah, I think that, that's, that even that's optimistic. Um, I think that if, we, if we're looking forward to, to what's going to happen, and that's the thing too is we're starting to pile up here. Um, Multiverse of Madness has wrapped filming. Um, they are currently filming uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, um, and uh, Thor, Love and Thunder, I think, has wrapped. The other shows have begun filming. Secret Invasion has started to film. Um, I think She-Hulk has wrapped. I think that we're, we're getting to a point now where we have to take, you know, start putting these movies out Otherwise, we're going to be sitting here for years and years on end because we're already. By the time the Eternals comes out, it had our, it will already have been delayed a year, so we're we're looking past a year now delaying it, um, to to do that. And I think if Shang Chi comes out when it does, bombs at the box office, and then the Eternals moves off, I think that could be, um, like a like a real, like. I think that could harm the 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 relationship between Marvel Studios and Simu Liu. I'm being completely honest because he's already because um, in the investor call, Chappic referred to Shang Chi as an experiment, and then he's like, "Yeah, why are you experimenting with a one movie with Asian people in it?" And then it's like, "If we're gonna do that, and then we're gonna move Eternals off if it does poorly." Um, first of all, that would require a shift of everything. You can't just, uh, like, that's why I think with Marvel Studios, it's such a, uh, a more difficult task to, to move things, is when you, when you move things around from Marvel Studios, everything has to move. You gotta slide everything down a slot. So it's like, we're gonna move, like, let's say we, we move Eternals, we're gonna move that into March. Alright, we gotta move Doctor Strange, we gotta move, um, everything else has to move with it, and I think that that's something else we really gotta that's gotta be weighed in on here is that it's a it's a it's a her Herculean task to to relocate all of these movies, especially for the audience who's going to continue to have to deal with you know new release dates, especially on trailers. As trailers come out, they they will need to you know be they, like the trailers are coming out with the dates, and, and that's that's going to be an issue. I I think that you know once you have committed to the release date of Shang-Chi and Shang-Chi comes out, I think now you are stuck and I think now you have to take Eternals. Eternals has to come out when it does. Um, I think even, I think, like, look, just at this point, just put your head down, plow through, take the loss here, and then, like, I think that what needs to happen is we're going to start seeing movie companies start to vertically integrate because I don't think the situation is going to improve anytime soon. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm being completely honest. I think we've reached a point where it's like there are so many vaccines. If you don't want to take a vaccine, you, you, um, you're you just not going to get it. There's going to be people who you are not going to be able to convince. There are people who are going to continue to not wear masks in the movie theater. It, it's, it, it's the kind of thing where it's like, you know, if someone doesn't feel safe now, there is nothing in the next six months that's going to make them think it's safe then. If, I would say that if, if someone doesn't think it's safe now, there's nothing in the next year that's going to convince them that it's safe, you know? It, it, and it's one of those things where it's like, you know, as, as long as, you know, this is the new reality. I, I th like, I think, that I firmly believe that. there Like, there's going to be no chance to make people think that it is now safe when it wasn't before. So, on to the next story. We have uh, news that 
Ironheart, who will be having her own show on Disney+, Plus, will be making her debut in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I'm... I like the idea of introducing a character and something that's not theirs. I don't have a problem with that. I think that Wakanda Forever is very quickly shaping up to be a mess, I guess would be the word I would use. Because there is a lot of groundwork that needs to be covered in this movie. First and foremost, they're not recasting Chadwick Boseman. Now, they could be doing a black, uh, a, uh, uh, what's it called, a, a Batwoman and, you know, lie to us and say we're not going to recast Kate Kane and then do it anyway. Um, they could be doing that. I think it's more likely that they're going to stick with this and they are not going to recast Chadwick Boseman. Um, so they need to explain, you know, what happened to T'Challa between Endgame and, um, and here where he's no longer in the picture. They need to set up who the new Black Panther is going to be and, and how they got there. There are rumors that Namor is the villain, the Submariner. They got to set that up too. Whoever the villain is needs to be set up in this movie. And then Ironheart there too. Now look, I, I give Disney more more you know benefit of the doubt with this because they did introduce Black Panther in, in, in Civil War and it worked out very well. They introduced Spider-Man in Civil War as well and that did work out very well as well. That said... Um, Anytime you start throwing all of these things into one movie, I start to, you know, I start to to hesitate. I mean, I'm still going to see the movie, but I think it's a lot of plates to keep spinning. Um, I think it's a lot of work to keep all these things working and have it be a cohesive story and have everything, you know, work well within the confines of what's happening. I think that this is going to be a rough, this is going to be a, a, a um not a rough sell or anything, but I think it's going to be a, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if they can pull this off. It's a, it's a lot to happen. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to shortchange any character. Um, but, you know, maybe they'll be able to do it. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see where this goes, but I'm going to, you know, be interested with a, uh, a grain of salt, so to speak. What else was there that I wanted to cover? Oh, Spider-Man Far From... Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. Um, very obviously, we're getting a Sinister Six movie. This is what Sony's wanted to do for a very long time, and they're finally getting to do it. I think that this is, you know... This is kind of the way to do it, to an extent. Uh, I'm interested to see how this works out. I think that it's going to be a unique experience. I, I There's a lot in this trailer that appears to be coming from the first act purely based on the fact that I, like, if the conceit of this movie is that it's basically one uh, one more day, which I gotta hand it to them. I think it's ballsy for them to use one more day as the main, like, plot line for this movie. I think that, you know, going with the one more day is an interesting choice. But based on, you know, if we if we look at this and from a narrative standpoint how this works, if, they, if the, the main issue of this movie is that the multiverse is colliding and everything's kind of falling apart, I think that, um... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You have to have that be the inciting incident at the end of the first act where Doctor Strange get doing the spell to make everyone forget that he is Spider-Man. That has to be the end of the first act. So 
him being chased by police, him being interrogated by police, you know, all of that, you know, even him going into school and, and you know, him being mobbed on the subway, all that's to be end of first act, uh, handled by the end of the first act. So I would say that's a good two-thirds of this trailer. Um, I think we see a lot of other characters who could be construed as Spider-Man villains. We see something that looks like the Lizard. We see something that looks like uh, the Sandman. We see something that looks like Electro. We know Electro's in the movie. Uh, we see a pumpkin bomb. Which iteration of Green Goblin is this going to be? I would say it's safe to assume not James Franco. Um, I would. I, I think if I were a betting man, my my most obvious option would be Willem Dafoe coming back. Um because it looks like his pumpkin bomb. I'm also not as familiar with, like, the stuff from the 2002 Spider-Man movie is, I would say, iconic in a way. But at the same time, it's also something that, like, a lot of people really love. Um, and I've rewatched that movie many times. I had the, the video game um, for the GameCube, and I played the hell out of that game. And I still do. It's pretty fun. Um, I think that, like, because that's a thing, and we, we have all of that happening, I think that... You know, it's more likely that he comes back than Dane DeHaan. Uh, definitely not James Franco. I think we, we see Sandman, I think, in the trailer a little bit. I think it, it's going to be interesting to see how all these characters play off of each other. And I th- and obviously we see Doc Ock. Um, and I think Alfred Molina looks great. It, it looks like he, he hasn't missed a day since, you know, like, that, like a day hasn't passed since Spider-Man 2. I think it, 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 like, it was great casting then. It's great casting now. I'm looking forward to, to seeing how this all plays off. I think at least one past Spider-Man has to appear in this movie. I, I think you can't do this movie without either Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire or both. It, w- I, it would be weird, uh, all things considered. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see how all of this happens. I think Trailer 2 is going to end with a... Spider-Man appearance the same way Civil War did. I think that'd be a real full circle kind of thing for Spider-Man in the MCU, where his first appearance is in a trailer for Captain America. I think that another Spider-Man appearing at the end of this would be cool, too. Um, I've heard rumors that um, Paul Giamatti came back. We don't know who came back, but I want to see. Like, give me even the shitty Spider-Man villains from the Amazing Spider-Man and, and, you know, hopefully we get some of the, the well-directed Spider-Man action from Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2. I will maintain that that's some of the best Spider-Man action we've seen in live action is in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, the rest of the movie is dog shit, but his fights against Elytra are great. And his fight against uh, Green Goblin is great, too. Uh, definitely better than, I would say, Homecoming or Far From Home. One final news story before we wrap up today. Dune. I'm very much looking forward to this movie. Probably more than any other movie coming out in the back half of this year. I would say even going in... uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, I'm looking forward to a lot too. I'm saying maybe it's a franchise. Non-comic book movie? Well, that feels like it's kind of, you know, putting it in a category all its own. Maybe second most anticipated movie. Either way, regardless. Um... We've been hearing a lot about what's going on with Dune Part 2, as we now know what it's going to be called. Because, you know, we know that the first one coming out in October is to be called Dune Part 1. Um, and we know that Dune Part 2 will be coming in... Well, Dune Part 2 is going to be coming at some point in the near future after that. So, those of us who are looking forward to it are clamoring for any piece of information we can get. So we have Dune Part 2 is going to be coming. We don't know when exactly... But uh, Denis Villeneuve, or however the hell you pronounce his name, gave us a little taste in recent interviews of what we can expect going forward. So he, he here's what some of the things he said. Number one, he said that he envisions it as a trilogy. Now, I'm currently reading the series. I'm through God Emperor of Dune, currently in Heretics of Dune. I just started it yesterday, and you know I'm in the process of you know, reading this, and he wants to do the first book as two movies, Dune Part 1, Dune Part 2, and then the third in the trilogy would be Dune Messiah. He refers to it as Messiah of Dune, which may be what it's called outside of the United States, keeping in mind he's not American and English isn't his first language. 
this will come into play later, so keep that in mind. So, I like this idea based on what the books are. Um, I think that finishing Paul's story in Children of Dune would be nice, but is ultimately not necessary. Um, because, especially, I mean, I know what happens in the books after where I am now, especially considering the back covers of the ones written by, um, written by, um, the sun spoil what happens. So if you pick up, say, Hunters or Chapter House or, um, or Sandworms, you're going to get spoiled on what happened. Um, and really, if you read the book, um, you can kind of tell what's going to happen. So spoilers for a book, we're going to, it's going to be discussed way, way more in depth as we get closer to Dune's release. But, um, spoilers for those who haven't read the, um, what's it called, who haven't read the, the books yet, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, um, in Children of Dune, Paul comes back, despite being presumed dead after walking into the desert at the end of Messiah, he comes back, um, as the prophet, preaching that the, the, uh, the teachings of Muad'Dib have been bastardized over the years, which, you know, him as himself saying that, and then he gets beaten to death by a crowd of religious fanatics who don't believe what he's saying. Um, and it's, it's a really great ending to the character, symbolically, especially with what themes this um, the series really plays off of in terms of the role of religion and government. It, it really is a great send-off to the character. Um, it doesn't sound like it, but thematically it fits. So, beyond all of that, um, I don't think that's really necessary to it, and ultimately... From a literary standpoint, not only does it fit the thematic end to, you know, to Paul in up until this point, but it also does this thing where it allows him to be resurrected based on the rules of resurrection um, because of how Gola's work and, and um, you know, needing his DNA. If he wanders into the desert, you don't have that. Um, He's needed in the desert to send Leto, um, Leto II on his, you know, on the golden path, get him so he becomes the worm, and, and that's all necessary, but he's needed to return, um, because if they want to ever resurrect him, they need a, a tissue sample of his body, which means you need to have a physical body to kill, and then keep, uh, the tail actually need to keep a physical body, so... It, it, like thematically, it make it, it makes sense, and then also it makes sense from a standpoint of we don't want to keep, you know, Paul permanently dead. If we want to ever resurrect him, we can bring him back. And we're starting in the book I'm in now, Heretics. We start to get that indication that they're trying to uh, bring a second Quizat Satarak. So it's it's kind of you know interesting. And if you've never heard anything from Dune before, this sounds like a lot of gibberish. So. All of that being said, I think that doing Dune as a two-part thing and then doing Dune Messiah um, as a third is a good way to finish it off. And then, I mean, I, I would like to see the Butlerian Jihad as a, as a series, more so than the Benny Gesserit show that they're working on. But beggars can't be choosers, and I'm, I'm, I'll watch it anyway, but, you know, let's, let's see how this goes. Ultimately, I think that's a great way to do it. Now, he did make a comment in an Italian magazine, keeping in mind the man is French, um, and, you know, presumably French is his first language. He, he made a comment about getting into Dune Part 2, which they have not filmed yet. Now, when, I, when I'm reading the books, I'm looking at this like, oh, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of how would you adapt this into a film series? Like, what steps would I take as a producer to cut down on costs? And it's like, well, you know... The, what we see as Dune in the beginning, um, before the, the Golden Path really sets out on its way, and it stops being a desert planet, and Arrakis really starts to, you know, become a fertile, you know, land like that, is it's like, they talk about how, like, oh, we have this, and then also there's the, um, you know, this was, uh, the wall that, that Paul led the, uh, led his armies through, and, and really, you know, if you, if you want to know what Dune is without, you know, reading it, it's the story of Hamlet where it's, it, it, it's that story, which a lot of science fiction, you know, takes traditional stories we've heard a million times before and, and reskins it in a futuristic kind of setting. And, and really, that's what Dune does. It takes Hamlet and reskins it, and it's, you know, that's what we have here. I, I think that if we're going to look at, you know, how this works, I think part one ends off 
with the with the the dubbing of Paul as the Quetzal Sadarak, him taking the name Muad'Dib, and that's where, how we're going to end part one. Um, there's a part where you know the realization happens among the Fremen um, when he cries. That's going to be the point where where this kind of goes from there. That's going to be the end of part one. Part two, he said, uh, Villanueva said he cannot wait to get into part two. He wants to get back into it with Timothy and Zendaya. Timothy being, you know, Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya as, you know, Zendaya, who plays Cheney. So while that's going on, he he wants to, you know, um, he, he wants to, he also said that he sees Cheney as more of a protagonist in, in, what's it called, in part two. Now. Let's take this into consideration for what it is. When he now, first of all, this is an Italian magazine, and he and and the word protagonist in Italian, protagonista, the concept of having multiple protagonists is a fairly recent one. Um, and in English, we have this kind of idea where it's like we can have multiple protagonists in a work of fiction or a work of nonfiction, and you know, it it, it really just refers to the main character. The idea of having multiple is fairly new. Um, you cannot tell the story of Dune and then the story of Dune Messiah faithfully, which is what it appears he's, he wants to do. You cannot do that and have Cheney as a lead, as the sole lead. Um, you can have her as a lead. You can have her as the leading female in the movie, but even then, I would say probably closer to, you know, Rebecca Ferguson's Lady Jessica would probably be the closest thing to what I would anticipate being a, a, a leading female in, um, in even, you know, Dune Part 2. I don't think that, you know, I, like, I don't think that, but, you know, be that as it may, this movie's going to happen regardless, and I think that something else that needs to you know, be considered is that Paul is not being replaced as the protagonist. And the other thing is, protagonista in Italian is a word that does not mean main character the way it does in English. It's the closest translation to it, but it means important person. Because I asked my grandmother, who is Italian, um, I asked her, you know, the linguistic question of the word protagonista, and she said that it refers to someone who's important. It could be used as a term of endearment for someone in your life who's important to you. Which is not the same thing. Like, if I said to someone, you're the protagonist of my life, it would be considered kind of... It would be considered, like, you're being sarcastic. So I, I don't think that this is being translated well. I think anyone freaking out over this is vastly overreacting. And even if it was true, where it's like, okay, we're going to make Cheney the lead of number two, I still think you'd be overreacting, even though it's not true. Um, and it's, it's a mistranslation gone amok. So people just keep your pants on. Keep in mind this is someone who does not speak English, giving an interview in, an, in a language that is not his native language. And then that interview is being translated back to English. And linguistically, things don't always line up 100%. So, like, while, yes, protagonista would be being translated to protagonist is the most literal translation, there are connotations in language that do not get translated properly. In this case, you know, that protagonist in Italian refers to any major character. Um, I would say even supporting characters can get that role, where it's like even, like, say, Lady Jessica can get that role that uh, the Baron Harkonnen, you could probably give that, that name to, um, because it doesn't, it, it doesn't split off like protagonist-antagonist. It is, you know, one word for, for everything in that role. So, yeah, so Dune will be out in October. Hopefully everyone goes to see it so we get a second one. One final bit of news, truly final, that broke yesterday before I could record this. Well, really, I was going to record this, and then something came up, and... Well, okay, let me rephrase that. What happened was I forgot to record the bit of news about the role of Cheney in the sequel to Dune. And then I got annoyed at myself for forgetting that. So rather than, you know, do the right thing and record everything at once, I forgot. And here we are. So what we're going to talk about right now is how The Flash Season 8 is going to open, which we now know more concretely. 
I'm going to say I called this, and I'm, I'm going to say again, I think that this is going to be the last season of The Flash, and I've said it bef- I said it when we first had news of that this is going to be the form this is going to take, where it was going to be kind of a farewell tour to an extent where it's like we have a bunch of recurring cast members from shows that have since ended. Like Jefferson Pierce is coming back from Black Lightning. Kara's sister, played by Chyler Lee, whose name I'm forgetting, who's Sentinel on Supergirl is coming back, and that show is long o- is going to be over at that point. Brandon Routh, who played the Adam and you know Superman of Earth, whatever seventy seven, I think. Well, he played he, Superman Returns, uh, Superman, uh, Kingdom Come, Superman from. Uh, um, what's it called, from from Crisis. He also played the Atom for a sizable amount of time on um, The Flash, Arrow, and Lens of Tomorrow. Um, he will be back. Cat McNamara, who plays um, Mia Queen, she'll be back. And, you know, Green Arrow and the Canaries didn't get picked up, but she she still had her final, so, so her show is over. And it really does feel like it's a send-off to this character. And it's like, we're going to end this, and we're going to do this big crossover on The Flash in five parts, and it, that's how it really feels. It's called Armageddon. I'm excited for it. I always love the crossovers. It's, it's always really fun to see them interact these characters, like have these characters interact with each other. And it it, it does feel. I, I I do. I'm gonna stick with my. If the Flash gets one more season, it will be a half season similar to what Arrow got for for its season eight. So either way, the Flash will be surpassing Arrow in terms of episode count after this season. But yeah, I, I do. I do really think that this is a you know this is this is a farewell tour to an extent. I don't think we're gonna get a full season nine of the Flash unless they get Grant back, and I think that that might be unlikely uh, unless they're gonna replace him with either Nora or with Bart or with any of these other characters. But we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. So the movie for this week is Mobile Suit Gundam One. I've never really dove deep with anime. I've watched Dragon Ball Z. Um, the first few episodes of Bleach, I was told you have to give Bleach more than three episodes to get into it. It takes about a hundred episodes for it to get good. As someone who sat through Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and sat through Doctor Who and sat through all manner of other shows that you get this kind of like, you know, you have to sit through X number of episodes and then it gets good. I'm not sitting through a hundred fucking episodes at a half hour apiece where I gotta devote my full attention to watch this because it's not in English and I gotta read the subtitles and I actually, I can't, like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not, like, no. no go fuck yourself. No. But, uh, I've never really dipped fully into anime. Um, I did watch the entire first season of Attack on Titan, but still, like, I, I decided to, to watch Mobile Suit Gundam once. I've heard good things, uh, about this. It's, it's kind of a pop culture phenomenon to an extent. And I think that this movie is really well executed. And it really does kind of, like, it's one of those things where it's like, looking back now, we're watching a movie that came out in the 70s, and it's like, we can't criticize it for doing things that are cliched when it set the standard. It is the reason why these things are cliched and done now. You can't criticize the movie for that. A lot of imagery comes out of this movie that, like, gets reused in other things, and a lot of, you know, story themes, and, 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 you know, I mean, they're not new story themes, but it is kind of a, a new introduction into into a lot of these things and it's it's interesting to see these things executed through this lens and I, I i like i really like the way the bad guys are portrayed um, the story's pretty cool about them trying to get the um the ship through without being caught the whole thing is really is, is really fun to watch um definitely definitely worth your time oh i did watch grab it a firefly that movie oh my god that i cry at that fucking movie Oh, yeah. I've watched a lot more anime than I think I said. I've watched Perfect Blue. I've watched Paprika. I've watched Serial Experiments Lane. Yeah, I go a lot deeper with anime than I... Oh, Metropolis. Now I'm just listing out anime that I like. If you haven't watched Mobile Suit Gundam 1, you can watch it on Netflix. It is a great movie. And it is kind of something where it's like if someone does have an interest in anime, I would recommend you, you kind of sit them down with this in the same way if someone has an interest in cinema, you would sit them down with movies in a genre. Like, if you wanted to get someone into movie, into, like, science fiction, you would go with, like, you know, the classics. You would go Back to the Future with Star Wars or things like that. It's kind of the same thing. If you want to get someone into Japanese cinema, I would say maybe show them this movie. Definitely, definitely, definitely worth, you know, watching. We're going to be quick with this week's Flash episodes. It's, a, it's kind of a two-part episode where it's, like, 
No, it's not, because I'm I'm mixing up the Runaway Dinosaurs B-plot with this episode. Where it's like, Barzak confront one of his high school bullies, and, you know, become, and, and like, confront his... It's really the first time Barzak confront his past, and come to terms with, um, like, what he went through, the trauma he went through as a child, um, that really made him into the Flash, and made him who he is today. It's it, and I, I know people are going to criticize me for saying trauma, but to an extent, bullying is trauma because it does build who you are and your sense of morality going forward. And I think it's interesting that they they portray it in this way, where it's like him being put through that becomes this you know this reason for him to become the hero we see him now. Um, so when he faces off against his high school bully and ultimately beats him. It's not just a symbol. It's not just him, you know, getting the the like the one up over the person who who tormented him for gener for not generations for for like a decade. It's it's a it's a it's a victory of ideology where it's like you know he he like even with this power he's not stronger than him, um, but the ingenuity and and him being who he is that allows him to one up it. And then we're on part two, which. Looking forward at season five, this episode is great, but also could have been the plot of a Cicada episode that we didn't have to have Cicada go on for an entire fucking season in season five, where it's like, this guy had his family die, like his family or his friends died as a result of the particle accelerator explosion, because not only did it create metas, but there was also this kind of, you know, general wave of energy that caused destruction and because of that these people died and he wanted revenge on wells and that's really all the motivation you need for cicada to have cicada work where it's like you know metahumans killed my family it could have been a two-part episode where he's just targeting wells and it's like he could have targeted other metas and it, you could have done it at most over two episodes, but no, they dragged it out over an entire season, and the entire season shit the bed. So, here we are. And But it's a really great episode, and it's the first time we get a reference to Ralph Dibney, who ends up having a bigger role until he had a bunch of disgusting tweets, and he, I guess that that's a, a flashpoint change, that Ralph didn't die in the particle accelerator explosion, and... Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, it, what it does, it really kind of throws you off the scent of who Wells is to an extent. But at the end of the day, we know who he is. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like he's playing it up for his, you know, for, for the people there more than he is for for anyone else. But the next two episodes are the crossover, Flash versus Arrow and the Brave and the Bold. And it's a really fun crossover. I like that's the one where where uh what's it called? We get we get a callback to in in Elseworlds. That's really fun. And we'll, we'll we'll get more into that next week. And our final thing for today is a listener question. I've been taking listener questions lately. And this week's question comes from Lisa. The question is what licensed video games do you like the best? And I think that like I had this thought while I was at work about like if you're gonna talk about great movies or like if, like I feel like if like if someone asks me what my favorite movie is I'm I'm almost hesitant to say Goodfellas not because I'm concerned about being judged over liking Goodfellas or like you know any other movie it's just like you're you're sitting there and it's like you're, you're just picking one of the best movies of all time or like if I said to someone what's your favorite movie and it's like okay Citizen Kane it's like all right go fuck yourself you're just gonna like we we know Citizen Kane is great we don't need you to say it's your favorite and extent to make you seem smarter than you are or like oh seven samurai well i, mean, I, I will accept seven samurai someone says that but like i think that for the sake of this I'm, I'm, when we talk about greatest licensed games i'm gonna say games or that are based on existing properties and it can't be the mount rushmore of games so battle for bikini bottom off the list um, because everyone knows that's a great fucking game, and it's, even the remake was very well done. The, uh, what was it called? The Arkham series, Arkham, uh, Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, Arkham Knight, Arkham Origins, 
Also off the list, because again, it's easy. Everyone loves those games. We're not breaking any new ground. So I'm going to go with more obscure titles. Oh, also, Toy Story 2, Buzz Lightyear to the Rescue, also off the list. Because I think that's a game that's lesser known, but I've never met anyone who had the opinion that that game was not great um, of people who played it. When I went away to college, um, that was a topic of conversation, that game, and it's, it's, it is considered one of the... Like, it is on the Mount Rushmore of, of licensed games, I think. So, other games that were good. I'm going to say Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets for the PlayStation 2 and for the GameCube. Uh, pretty fun game where you have the... Uh, you're, you're basically just, you know... It doesn't follow the plot of the movie, really, that or the, or the book that much. Very little actually comes into play. Where it's like, you know, yeah, you, you go and deal with Aragog, yeah, you... Uh, and you know what, I'll throw the Game Boy Color version in too, because the Game Boy Color version is really fun, and it's this big open world. Um, but that's really one of the things that really draw, drew me to this game, was the fact that it's this huge open world. That you can explore at your leisure, and there's tons of nook, nooks and crannies to look in and find stuff, and it, it it's such a fun game to play. It, and, you know, the exploration aspect of video games has always been something that appealed to me, like, love Grand Theft Auto. Um, love Saints Row. Like, any game where I can go around, search, and find stuff, you, you've had me sold. Like, even the Lego games are so fun to play. Like, I'm looking forward to Lego Skywalker Saga, um, because I love, like, Lego Star Wars is one of my favorite games of all time, which is another one that I'm gonna keep off the list, because that's another one where everyone loves that game. What else did I want to address? Um, Revenge of the Flying Dutchman, the Spongebob game, is not as bad as a lot of people remember it. It, it, it certainly is overshadowed by Battle for Bikini Bottom, but it, on its own, it kind of does stand by itself. It is glitchy as hell, but I, I do have fond memories of that game. Um, there was a Monsters, Inc. game for the PlayStation that I used to really love. It's fun, it, but it's very short. Uh, if you can pick that up at a, at a, at a store, that's probably worth a playthrough. Uh, Scooby-Doo, Night of 100 Frights, another really fun one where you can explore this mansion and the surrounding areas, and you see all of the classic Scooby-Doo monsters. That's another really cool one. Uh, what else was there? I'm trying to think, because it's like, you know, there are so many great licensed games before the modern era when they really fell off around the time the MCU came out, which is really, I think, something that really kind of hurt it, was like, there was an Iron Man game, there was a Thor game, there was a Captain America game, and I read an article recently from Cracked about how the Captain America game really influenced the Winter Soldier because the the Captain America game came out and it was considered derivative of Arkham Asylum, but the combat was very fluid and, and very cool. And because of that game, we get the combat that Captain America has in in the opening sequence on the Lemurian Star of the Winter Soldier when he's facing off against Batroc the Jumper. And it, like that's something that we we don't really have much of anymore. Like there was like there was an Iron Man game, but people don't remember that fondly. And, and most of the licensed games that I can remember are games that I played as a kid. So it's like, I'm thinking back, and I'm like, well, I don't really want to, you know, address, like, there was a Blue Exclusion that, you know, between me, my brother, and my sister being the right age, you know, my sister was, like, two or three when we got it. That disc got wore the fuck out. Same thing with, like, Land Before Time and, you know, things like that. But I think that, like, if I were to give a recommendation of licensed games to people to go out and try and play, I would say Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets and, and Quidditch World Cup. If you have not played that game, you are missing out. That's a really fun, really solid sports game that is definitely worth playing. If you can if you can find it, it's so hard to find in the modern day, not just because it was not quite that popular back then, but right now it's, it's so hard. Like, because it's so beloved, it's, it's hard to find. So... Definitely worth checking that if you haven't played it already. You can find YouTube gameplay. Yeah, the dialogue's a little repetitive, but you know what you're gonna do. Oh, one final one that I have very fond memories of, and it's like I wish that they would just remake this or like you know consider. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna finish off with two. They're both racing games, and we had a lot of licensed racing games back in you know the '90s and the 2000s that we don't really get anymore in the same way. First, Nicktoons Racing which came out, and I want to say 99, I had the PlayStation 1 version, where there were, you know, you raced through racetracks inspired by Nickelodeon TV shows, and they were, you know, it, it doesn't hold up the graphics. The graphics are shit now if you go back and play it, but I remember at the time being like, this is really cool. I love going through, like, you know, the, like, the town from the Rugrats, and going through, like, the dump from Ariel Monsters, and all these these things, Really fun game. 
really, really fun to see the, the, these, you know, these things. And all these characters came in and it was really fun to play. Second is going to be, and I have an honorable mention after this, um, Magical Racing Tour, the Walt Disney World racing game, where you race through rides that were in Disney World. So you would race through um, Splash Mountain, and you would race through Tomorrowland Speedway, and you would, you know, rock and roller coaster and all these things. And it was like, you couldn't, if you couldn't go to Disney, this was a, a nice little alternative. That's a game, if I ever got the clout to be able to make a video game and be like, if I were able to go in and be like, pitch us a game for us to, to remake or to make now, 100% that would be the one that I'd be like, Magical Racing Tour, do a timely update with new with the current rides, um, with current graphics. Oh my god, that game would be fucking amazing. And the honorable mention game that I just thought of while I was sitting here recording this there was a Rocket Power game for the PlayStation 1. It was a really solid, like, kids-first skating game. But it wasn't just skating. It was, like, rollerblading and BMX biking and um, with, and, and snowboarding. It was everything that they did in the TV show, um, but all over the, like, you know, in that game. It was so fun. And there was one level that, like, yeah, there were, like, four packs of four levels but I was perfectly content to just stay in the one that was based on uh, Ocean Shores, where it's like a, a full like rendering of the town. Um, very fun game. Team Rocket Rescue—that's what it was called. You can probably find it at, at a local game store if you if you if that's the kind of thing you're into. Um, definitely, definitely, definitely worth playing. Um, so, so yeah. So, um, SpongeBob: Revenge of the Flying Dutchman. Fuck Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Harry Potter. Uh, Quidditch World Cup, Team Rocket Rescue, uh, Nicktoons Racing, Magical Racing Tour. I feel like I'm forgetting one, but I'm exhausted now. I just want to go home cut this episode. So we'll be back next week with another movie, The Flash Crossover, any news that may drop between now and then. And I got a few things that have already dropped today since I recorded this. So get ready for that. Uh, and we'll be back with that next week. Until then, have a great rest of your week. Do you like the show? Do you hate the show? Are you indifferent to the show? No matter what, you should probably let us know what we're doing so we can change it to better suit you, the listener's needs. You can go to either bit.ly slash BOS contact, which is a contact form page you can use. Also, you can just email us directly at 30minutereviews at gmail.com. If you have questions that you would like us to answer, we can answer them on the air. We have a few questions every week that will be selected to be answered on air. Um, so if you want to tell us what we should do, or if you have a suggestion for a movie or a TV show or something we should cover, go to bitbit.ly slash contact and also email us 30minutereviews at gmail.com.